Alrighty, let us begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Good. So very good to see you all again. Uh, I believe we should be having class all five days of this week without break, inshallah, but I will let you know. Uh, but no matter what, it is good to see you all again. Once again, our numbers have dwindled as is to be expected. We're now down to just 15 people, give or take, and perhaps a few people will join in. We are now entering unit number two. Uh, we've shifted from ayat that are about the, uh, about Allah, and now we are shifting to ayat about the Prophet, peace be upon him. Before jumping in, did anyone have any questions about anything at all related, unrelated to what we've been covering? Ahant. Would you say that the synopsis of the, the ayat about you know Allah is one realizing his uh, his dominion and his control and his power and then two viewing all that through the flashlight of 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 mercy and then three sort of combining those two to like you know uh, uh, like develop a a working form of reality that we I say all that works and you're having me thinking, I said, I still don't really have a last part figured out yet. Right. And maybe we'll de- dedicate some class time toward the end, essentially the end of Ramadan, putting these ayahs together to see what depiction, what worldview they're all creating. So I'd say you're on target. Like, what are the ayahs? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And then obedience to God, be the abd of your rub yeah. as a way to get taqwa. And then the ayah of light. And then ayat al-Kursi. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say uh, what you've described definitely works, and we'll discuss it further. But yeah, I'd say at least as a starting point, I think it works. Okay. Any other thoughts and questions? All righty. <clears throat> so the first eye we're looking at regarding Allah is from, it's actually two ayahs that go together from Surat Ali Imran. And once again, testing my screening ability. All right, do you all see the Quran on your screen? So, so, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل إن كنتم تحبون الله So if you love Allah فاتبعوني so the Prophet, peace be upon him, is being told, if you love Allah, then follow me. And the consequence, Allah, He forgives you, or he loves you, he will love you. And he will forgive you your sins. And Allah is the forgiving, the merciful. And then the second ayah, again, the Prophet is being instructed to say, So obey Allah and obey his messenger. And if you turn away, 
then, uh, or if they turn away, well, Allah does not love the rejectors of faith. Okay, so Surah 3, Surah Al-Imran, Ayah 31 and 32. So taking this piece by piece, if you love Allah, then follow me. Meaning, if you love Allah, how do you illustrate your love of Allah? By following the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, not with the intention of sounding disrespectful to Allah when I give this example, but to make the example. Uh, based on this, it's as though we are saying the love language of Allah is what? Is to follow the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, if the Allah is prescribing that we follow the Prophet, peace be upon him, then trying not to use any of the language we use of deen, try to describe whom Allah is regarding or what Allah is regarding the Prophet as. So what do I mean by this? And actually, we're going to say, okay, he's the prophet, peace be upon him. He's the perfect person. He is the chosen one. He is, uh, he is, uh, uh, he's calling to what is right, forbidding what is wrong. He is giving good news, warning about Akhira, giving warning about Akhira, so forth and so on. Trying not to use that language. Describe who is the prophet to Allah. I was going to say that like in this context like you could say that the prophet is a beloved of Allah I don't, I, that's yeah. just the first thing that comes to mind so this is tapping into one of the ways to develop a relationship or a love for Allah so for some people piece of cake I love Allah and they actually do for other people, it is hard to conceive. Like, what does it mean to love Allah? And thus, how do you develop a love for Allah? You love those whom Allah loves. And this applies to everything in everyone. If you want to develop love for a certain person, then you develop love for those things and those people that that person loves. So if you want to develop love for the Prophet, peace be upon him, you love those whom the Prophet loves, which would be his family, his companions, and then by extension, all the rest of the believers. So a way to develop love for Allah is to love those whom Allah loves. And here we have the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then we're saying, if you love Allah, then what should you do? Then follow the Prophet. Uh, Shahla, you would raise your hand. Yes. Um, I was just going to add to that. I think that's beautiful. Um, I was just going to add like the, a trusted one, like his trusted one, mm -hmm. but maybe that's too religious of a connotation. But, yeah, but it still um, works because, I mean, we yeah. often don't use that language. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Khuram. Um it uh, it indicates first uh, like uh, a very unique relationship of uh, Allah with Prophet. 
So there's a first is the relationship. And uh, so we can like uh, think about that. What is that relationship mm-hmm. that Allah Ta'ala is vouching that, okay, you have to follow him if you want my player. Mm-hmm. So, and that, so that's, that's sort of beautification of that relationship with Allah and Prophet peace be upon him. And uh, also Allah Ta'ala gave Prophet peace be upon him the highest, uh, like uh, you can say, uh, Abdullah, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a reference of Abdullah as well. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. the point. I, Those latter points I would say is more getting to the religious language, but yeah, all of that uh, uh, works. Absolutely. So, so here, when we spoke about the first command, be the abd of your rabb, think back to how we defined ibadah. We defined ibadah in that context as giving your most extreme love. So, that we often translate ibadah as worship, but this word that we're translating as worship, we're translating as giving your most extreme love. <laughs> and so then here, if you do love Allah, then here is how you express it. And then we said, well, how do I develop love for Allah? Do love those whom Allah loves and love those things that Allah loves. So this, I'm going to actually veer off the Quran into a hadith that's a very, very good hadith to know. Uh, you all see my internet screen? Okay, so go down here. This is a really, really, really good hadith to know, almost at the end. And while I'm pulling this up, Shaila. Um, so I don't understand how this is a way of expressing our love. Like, I can understand that it's a way of getting closer to Allah by following the Prophet. Mm-hmm. But how is it? an expression of our love. What's the difference between the two? Um, well, I don't know. It just seems, it just sounds a little strange. Like I'm expressing my love through following the prophet. It's more like I'm using this as a means to get closer to Allah maybe, or. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm saying essentially that is exactly the same thing. Okay. Well, I mean, wrestle with it. And yeah. see, if you, see if you can find some some key well, differences. Like, like, you know, like one expression of all, you know, love to Allah is like giving charity, right? Okay. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I'll have to think about it. So, okay, very good, Inshallah. So, so this side, can you all see the hadith on the screen? So this is in the Noe collection. This is thirty uh, hadith number 38. And so Allah Ta'ala says, whoever shows enmity to a wali of mine, a friend of mine, I have declared war against him. Okay. Pretty, pretty heavy duty language. And my servant does draw, not draw near me with anything more love to me than the faraid, the far things that I have obligated upon him. And my servant continues to draw near to me with the nuffle until I love him. And when I love him, I am his hearing with which he hears, his sight with which he sees, his hand with which he strikes, his foot with which he walks. And were you to ask something of me, I would surely give it to him. And were you to seek refuge with me, I would surely grant him. Bukhari. So, so very, very heavy duty narration. 
then let me see. Okay, yeah, we'll stick with this one. So, so here we also have a formula on developing love for Allah and showing love for Allah. Uh, Nather, you had your hand raised? Um, yeah, I guess uh, I was thinking about trying to like uh, dissect what I would think it means to follow something in general. Yeah. And I like was thinking that I follow something, that if I'm to follow something, then that means that I'm drawn to something. And that if I'm drawn to something, that that means that uh, I recognize some uh, beauty in that thing. And that that is my my ability to recognize some beauty in something is a function of blank. And I don't know where to go further than that. But you have touched on a very profound point. Uh, a definition of beauty. So very often when we speak of beauty in our culture, we speak of aesthetics, right? And so it's a certain amount of balance and a mixture of colors. And like, you know, back in my film school days, we had to do all kinds of study of composition and optics and all that stuff, right? To make a beautiful image that includes the golden rectangle, which is probably the same uh, formula of the rectangle we have here. And then if you look at Alhambra, as well as uh, the Dome of the Rock, they're all built around the, uh, around the golden rectangle. Because that's essentially the perfect uh, distance between your eyes and such, like the, the, the parts of the rectangle. So that's how we commonly think of beauty. But you have given, mashallah, a very fundamental definition of beauty, and that is that which attracts you, is by definition beauty. Yeah. It may be something ugly, but in your subjective experience in that moment, it is beauty. And thus, that is a way to follow the Prophet, peace be upon him, to be attracted to him as an object of beauty. And isn't that how Ali, may Allah, may Allah uh, be pleased with him, may Allah ennoble his face, speaks about the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? If you look at the hadith in the Shama'i literature about the Prophet, peace be upon him, what does it say? He was neither too tall nor too short. His hair was neither too wavy nor too curly. And then Ali is saying, you know, I have never seen the likes of him before or since. Or if you were to compare him to the moon, so much of that Arabic poetry was about the beauty of the moon, you wouldn't stop be able to look at you wouldn't be able to stop looking at him because he was so much more beautiful than the moon. And so this is something perhaps even beyond the beauty of Yusuf alayhi salam. So in some narrations, I don't think these are hadith. Um, these are other reflections on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So how much of the, the beauty of the universe was in the face of, the, of Yusuf alayhi salam? Anyone? More than Zayn Malik. But, yeah. So half the beauty of the universe is in the face of Yusuf alayhi salam. And then some go so far as to say that the whole of the beauty of the universe is in the being of the Prophet, peace be upon him. But yeah, and so it would be this attraction that then builds that compels you to follow. And we're going to look at what does it mean to follow in just a moment. Uh, Ahant and then Shahla. Um, I had a, uh, a train of thought that's something uh, that when you were showing the uh, uh, the Hadith, that, you know, like Nafal acts or like the obligatory acts are the way to get closer to him. Just kind of like, like, uh, logically thinking this out is you know without the existence of a prophet to 
emulate these behaviors or these uh, 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 these obligatory acts, there's no way we would even know in terms of like what this means in human form. Mm-hmm. So I think from that perspective, I think loving like Allah is to love his obligatory actions and and to do his obligatory actions, you have to follow the prophet. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, otherwise it'd be as though Allah just explained what to do yeah. and, then, and then you're following. Yeah. Um, or in contrast, if Allah sent an angel. Um, but not only did he send a prophet, he sent a prophet based on of upright character with zero wealth. So, Shala. Um, so, you know, when we think of the prophet as like, I can't remember what sister said, like beloved, is it, did she use the word beloved? Uh, yeah, that, I know you said beloved, yeah. Yeah, um, so like, is this where, is this the ayah where, or one of the ayahs, I guess, where um, the Sufi roots are, I guess, with like thinking of Allah as, you know, the beloved and, you know, kind of this interplay of like lover, beloved, hmm. is, does it relate to this at all? Uh, I don't know if it's specifically this ayah, but yeah, this concept, absolutely. But I don't know if it's coming from this specific ayah. I'm forgetting it at the moment. I mean, it might literally be that first ayah or the second ayah we looked at um, in the last section in terms of, of the whole foundation of everything. But yeah, this would be a contrast between the Sufis and the Salafis, that the Sufis are seeking to get closer to the Prophet, peace be upon him. The Salafis are seeking to get closer to the Hadith. And those are two different things. Okay, so so then exploring how do we follow the prophet peace be upon him. So can you all see my one note on the screen? So you have us and the prophet peace be upon him. Uh, first, what is our source material on the prophet peace be upon him? It's both an easy question and a tricky question. Uh, Iqbal. Uh, I'm having trouble hearing you. I'm outside driving. Quran? Okay. Well, if you're driving, focus on the driving. Yeah, so the Quran is one of them. So what do we have? We have Allah. And then what does he give to the Prophet, peace be upon him? This I may have already shared, but uh, I think uh, it might be confusing people. And then this is being given to the Prophet. And right here we have Jibril, Angel Gabriel, alayhi salam. So Allah is giving the prophet a teacher. Okay. Remember that point. It's an easy point that we often forget. How did the prophet learn how to pray? From his teacher. How did the prophet receive the Quran? From his teacher. Okay. And then the compilation of what he was given is what we have that we call recited Revelation and non-recited revelation. So this is just textbook Mother Arsa 101 info. Recited revelation, again, is the Quran. Non-recited revelation is what? Hadith. So it is the sunnah, sunnah plus 
found in the Hadith. Hadith. So it's not the Hadith, it's found in the Hadith. Okay. Except for the Hanbali school, these are two different things. In the Hanbali school, the Sunnah and the Hadith are the same thing. But a way to think about this is the aspects of the, of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that are transferred from person to person is almost always the Sunnah. The material that's in the books that scholars look at, that is the Hadith. Good. Obviously, I just showed a Hadith. And, and so we've made reference to periodically. But the point here is the sunnah, when it's contrasted with the hadith, the sunnah is the living practice of the prophet, peace be upon him. Whereas the hadith are the reports of three things. What are those three things? Anything the prophet said, anything he did, and anything he seemed to witness giving approval, meaning anything he said, anything he did, and anything he's in the presence of, and he didn't criticize it. So if he didn't criticize it, then he seems to be giving approval. So that's essentially the Hadith literature. And there's a second thing, which is also mixed in with the Hadith literature, which is called Afar, which is anything from the companions. And if it's coming from the companions, chances are it's coming from the prophet, peace be upon him. So, so following the prophet, however, uh, uh, were you raising your hand? Newly raised from before. Uh, yeah, so like, I just wanted to confirm that, you know, it, in my mind, a like hadith is like, uh, like, a, like a singular data point. Yes. Whereas the sunnah is the like the the conclusions or the trend you get from a multitude of data points. Okay, so there I would say no. I'd say the sunnah, the hadith part, yes, 100%. The sunnah is what the companions see the prophet doing, peace be upon him, and they follow him. Okay. Hmm. So what's interesting, who of all the companions spent the most time with the prophet, peace be upon him? I mean, so uh, so in terms of launch length of his Islam, it'd be Abu Bakr, right, or Ali, Abu Bakr, yeah. right? Those two literally became Muslim right at the beginning. But if you look at how many hadith they narrate, it's tiny. Yeah, very very tiny list. And then you have, of course, Abu Huraira. Abu Huraira is a unique example. Let me come back to him. Uh, Aisha, however, who's spending time with him all the time, she's narrating numerous hadith because she's with him. And she's, she's sharing everything. But what I'm saying is that what is Abu Bakr, however, copying? He's copying whatever the Prophet did. And to the point that when Umar is saying we need to write down the Quran, what does Abu Bakr say? How can I do something the Prophet did not do? To the point that Abu Bakr, when he becomes the Khalifa, all the places where the Prophet was trying to reach, Abu Bakr is like, well, that's what the Prophet's trying to do. That's what we have to do, so, you know, in terms of expeditions and such. And so what I'm saying is that the sunnah, when you contrast it with hadith, the thing about sunnah is we use it in so many different places, so I'll help clarify that in a second. Uh, when you use sunnah in contrast with hadith, hadith 
are all these data points, just like you said, these individual moments captured. Okay. Whereas the Sunnah is what the companions are watching the Prophet do, peace be upon him, and then they're doing, and then the, the, the Tabi'in are watching the companions do, so they're doing it, and the Tabi Tabi'in are watching the Tabi'in do, and they're doing it. It's this living, continuous practice, which may or may not be written down. Because, for example, <clears throat> how could you possibly write down how to recite the entire Quran? You can't. You can write down uh, in a small book how to pr pronounce each letter and, and how to pronounce you know, letters in such and such context, but you're not going to be able to do that for the entire book. That book would be astonishingly long. But if you're just teaching it person to person, bam, it's immediate. And so the sunnah in contrast to hadith is this continuous living practice. So hadith saying, can a hadith not, uh, uh, asma say, can a hadith not also be a continuous practice? Give me an example. It may be recording a continuous practice. Yes, like the prayers. Right, yeah, yeah that's, that's where I got to in my next. Yeah, yeah, but it's not because of the hadith that we're praying, right? So like very commonly people will say, the Quran doesn't teach you how to pray, the hadith does. No, the hadith gives you all the parts of prayer, maybe like 500 narrations. How do you learn how to pray? From someone who learned how to pray. Who learned from someone who learned how to pray. Who learned from someone who learned how to pray. Going all the way back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And as you've heard me mention many times, that's one of the open miracles of Islam. You know, I think that's in some ways even more amazing than the preservation of the Quran that we're all over the world, every single social economic level, every single level of liter literacy, illiteracy, and there's no manual on how to pray. And then you go to Hajj and everybody prays almost exactly the same way. When it's time for Allahu Akbar, everyone knows you get in line and do such and such. And all the differences, you know, do I do this or not? You know, are my hands like this or do this? That all gets traced back to the prophet too, the living practice. So sunnah in contrast to hadith, is the living continuous practice. Uh, Iqbal. Oh, did I raise something? Did I raise okay. my hand? Yeah, it seemed like... Oh, I no, it. but, but uh, I'm just just add one, yeah. one thing from, uh, from our previous point. I just want to add one thing here. Yeah. Regarding the, the mention about the, you know, the beauty of uh, the Yusuf, alayhi salam. But but in the in the same sense as uh, uh, Aisha is also narrating that uh, people who saw Yusuf like they cut their hand, right? That's in the Quran. Yeah. Yeah, but the people who saw Prophet they cut their hearts. So that's oh snap, that was pretty deep. Nice, mashallah, lower tree right there. Nather. Yeah. Um. So I'm thinking through kind of like where I left my last point off, which okay. is um, like, how do we develop a taste for the prophet? Yeah. Uh, how do we like read his Shema or his Sira and say like, I like that. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm actually attracted to that. And then what I came to was that, um, that that's something that maybe that you need to like you need to experience firsthand um, by being around people who uh, 
who demonstrate those prophetic qualities and that like emphasizes the importance of sohba maybe so that you can develop that taste for the Prophet mm-hmm. I think that is uh, something that is lost in our era in multiple ways. So one, of course, with quarantine and social media, just the value of person-to-person interaction. So I don't know if we have any, uh, how many current Loyola undergrads are here who, who come for Tarawi. Um, Azan, I don't know if you can hear me. Um, what do I make people do at the end of Tarawi prayers every day? I don't know if you've been there long enough. Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's to hug each other. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, as nourishment. That, okay, we all do our 20. And then I force everyone, men to men, women to men, I force everyone to, to then hug each other. Right? As a form of nourishment. Uh, because what happens with the fasting is, especially in our era of alienation, is we all get disconnected. And, and so that aspect, I think, of the human experience is, is erasing very quickly. But what has already been erased is just understanding what love is and the experience of love. That I think what's built into a lot of the Shema'i literature is that the reader has an understanding of love. And, and so uh, that is something that almost has to be taught which is a strange thing. Oh, yeah. Shala. Um, what does Shema mean? Uh, Shema'il is referring, let me go back to that screen. Um, so can you all see, can you see the Hadith screen? So if we go to home, and then we have Ash-Shema'il Muhammadiyah. So these are Hadith collections about attributes of the Prophet, peace be upon him. What were his features like? What was his hair like? What was his comb like? How many white hairs did he have? His dye, all that stuff. And so a small exercise that everybody can do is go through this. And when you see someone in your daily life that you come across who has the same qualities, think of the prophet, peace be upon him. So the example I always give is that he had a space between his teeth. And so anytime you see someone with a space between their teeth, Think of the prophet, peace be upon him. Which we do when you love someone, you see their features on other people. And so this is a way to fake it till you make it, to start developing a love for the prophet, peace be upon him, is look for his features in other people. Okay. Any other questions so far on all this? Just a few more points going back. Uh, Anna. This is just like a comment like about the discussion that you were having about like um, people feeling like alienation more and more. Do you think that that's like more isolated to like Muslims in non-Muslim majority countries, or do you think that it's like all across the world? I, I can't speak to the rest of the world, but because of the dominance of social media and personal media, I'm guessing if it hasn't uh, totally conquered the entire world, it's only a matter of time. And that's before the next big phase. So think of the cell phone. So think of you have the radio phase, and the telephone phase, because think of how much that changes uh, interaction. Okay? And then you have the television phase, where you have my whole generation learning how to behave from television. And then you have the, uh, and then you have recorded media and all that. But then you have the not the internet phase as much as the cell phone phase. Okay. And everybody in the world has a cell phone, right? And so, what would be the next phase? Would it be glasses? 
you know, when people no longer have phones, now they have glasses with augmented reality, then imagine the type of alienation that'll happen. And so I'm saying that, you know, the current five-year-old, I don't even know what their world is going to be like. And some of you with whom I've had other meetings, not to veer off the topic too much, but the common 20-year-old, um, looking at the life, common 20-year-old Muslim, looking at the life that they've been given in America, I don't know why most of them are still Muslim. Yeah, but that's a whole separate topic. I mean, what have we given them in terms of, you know, Islam being something useful and beneficial and beautiful for them? Shetla. So isn't it possible that it, that people could take the Ashama, did I say it right? Shema too il. far? Yeah, Shema il. They could take it too far. Like why, you know, the, mm. pro- the fact that the prophet had a space between his teeth, why is that relevant to anything right uh, like i mean the prophet had to look a certain way so okay this is i mean I, I so don't, this is I, this is where love is different than duty so this is a perfect segue into the second ayah of that pair so the first eyes is love if you love allah then follow the prophet peace be upon him okay but if that is too hard to start with then go to the level of duty which is obedience. So obedience of the prophet, peace be upon him, is what the prophet says, do this, and he did this, which is almost nothing related to clothing or grooming except to be clean and have such and such stuff covered, right? I mean, most of what the prophet is saying to do is matters of of either acts of worship or character. So that's the level of obedience to the prophet, peace be upon him. But love is different. Love is when you're trying to be just like them. So the prophet, so the companions of the prophet, peace be upon him, when he would do wudu, <clears throat> it was very commonly common for the water that he would that would splash off of him. They would try to collect and do wudu with it. With it. That's the behavior of love. That's not an obligation. And so if the prophet liked uh, green, then they would like green. If the prophet would dress in certain styles of clothing, they would. He didn't tell them to, but out of love for him, they did. But could not that be distracting? I mean, from, from what's really important? Like? I mean, getting close to Allah through following his ways and I mean, ways? loving... Well, the, the ways of the prophet as taught to him by Allah, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that I'll, I don't know if that's considered a high level to be, but it's not something that I'm striving for, like to be, you know, certainly I want to follow his teachings and love him, but not like focus on exactly how he looked. And mm-hmm. I don't know that that's just, for me, is distracting from. And if yeah. we're saying he is the ultimate or the perfect servant of the divine, then the argument here is to be as much like him as possible. Now, uh, here's the cool story of the extreme. So this is the very famous legend attributed to Ahmed ibn Hanbal, where someone gives him a mango, right? Some of you probably know the story. So he then looks, how did the prophet peace be eat a mango? Because we have all these details. Here's how he ate a banana. Here's how he ate chicken. Here's his favorite part. Here's his favorite meat and such. And so Ahmed, the legend is that Ahmed ibn Hanbal could not find how did the prophet, peace be upon him, eat a mango. So he didn't eat it. 
And so that would be, the, I mean, the reason that that story is a story is because that's beyond the norm. But as a general practice, uh, another thing that the prophet did one day, he's, he's wearing a ring, just starts wearing a ring. Next day, all the companions start wearing a ring. Then the next day he takes it off and the next day all the companions take it off too. Right? And so the point to consider is that in devotion to Allah, there is a level of devotion to the Prophet, peace be upon him, that is also devotion to Allah. That if the Prophet is the beloved of Allah, then the common way we teach to become how beloved of Allah is, like in that hadith narration, where you obey and fulfill all the far, then you fulfill all the nuffles and all that stuff. And another strategy is what we have in this ayah, which is to follow. Follow is different than obedience. Go for it, follow question. Yeah, so I still think that, you know, so we know that time is limited, right? Yeah. And it takes time to study all these details, sure. right? Yeah. And so if we're spending so much time, you know, devoting our, our time to studying these details, we're going to miss what Allah wants us to really do. Are Plus, we? I think so. I mean, okay. there are certain, or maybe we should spend time and figure out what really matters, you sure. know, what, what of what he did really matters and what doesn't really matter. I mean, I think that's a worthwhile discussion to have, but not well. every single little thing. Like he was a uh, human, right? I mean, uh -huh. he was a human and I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to accept that like every single little thing that he did was okay. important and significant, right? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Sarah and then Stephanie and then Nilofer. Salam. Uh, yeah. Salam. Like not, I don't know, not having time or not wanting, wanting to know every little thing. Like I could care less how the Prophet Sarah ate chicken. Like okay. it feels like we're being groupies to the Prophet rather than Muslims at that point. Okay, like, what is the difference? It, like, we're not worshiping the Prophet, we're worshiping Allah. We're looking but how, at is this, how is this worship of, of the Prophet, peace be upon him? Because we're taking him as... Like, Are we praying to him? No, but we're, we're trying to, like, replicate everything he does, not for yeah. the sake of Allah, but for the sake of that's what we should do. For the sake... Uh, okay, but I mean, that would be the same argument for, like, why do we pray? That like for the sake of Allah, or that's what we should do. I mean, the answer is still yes to both. Okay, I'm saying that it's. Uh, I understand how this sounds like deification, but it's definitely not deification because everyone is still looking at the Prophet peace be as a creation of Allah, meaning that celebrating even the small things that the Prophet does becomes a celebration of his Creator. Okay, I can see that. Does that that equation work? Okay, yeah, uh, but, Stephanie, then. Yeah, uh, question sorry <laughs> okay, question. Yeah, um, so so the second part of the ayah we're talking about like if you can't get to that level of love then just you know duty and actions and everything so going back to like you know mentoring and teaching like the younger muslims if they can't get to that level of love and it's just like uh, like loveless duty and actions how can we kind of inspire that in them yeah it's easy to fall off the wagon if you're just doing stuff because okay huh? I'm Muslim, I should be doing that's that. that's the risk of the other end the risk of the other end is that if it's only obedience then it's lifeless and so this is when we speak of the sharia and the tarita so sorry we'll call this a side point 
the idea is that you have Sharia on the outside, and then what's often called the Tariqa or the Hatika on the inside. And, and so, so imagine these as two parts of a river. So you have this river that is giving life, but it has two parts. One is the banks of the river, which give the river shape. That's the Sharia. And then it, you have the water, which is the one that's actually delivering the life. And that is the love. That is the Hatika or the Tariqa. So it's still a directed love. So with young people, I mean, uh, it's, it, again, it comes down to what they're taught already. Uh, I actually think the pathway of love is a much easier pathway. Uh, but obedience is not one that we can, that we can override. But, but the point is that, uh, that you become like the companions. You give each other companionship. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Uh, Nilofer, or Stephanie, and then Nilofer, and then I forgot who Zeba is. Oh, Zeba, yeah, okay, yeah. Thanks. Um, so um, this is in response to Shala, the, yes. that I, I have been in agreement with her about not understanding why people have focused so much on the Shema'il or, you know, the attributes of the prophet, peace be upon him. Um, but actually this conversation has helped me understand that a little bit more. Um, because if you are focusing on how he dressed or how he kept his hair or whatever, every detail um, is going to be something that embodies the humility or the, the, the way of life we should be striving for. Like, um, you know, if your hero is um, BTS or something, then you want to dress like them. You want to do your hair like them. And uh, the Prophet was very simple. And the fact that he was, you know, had no wealth. Um, these are all examples for us, even if it doesn't seem uh, relevant. Mm -hmm. Even the, the space between his teeth. I mean, uh, how much do we spend on orthodontia this in this time and <laughs> we're all we're all gonna start putting separations in our teeth huh? no. <laughs> yeah. but yeah but i mean building off off the point how do we determine what's a small deal what's the small detail what's a big detail right uh i think that is very often culturally informed nilifer so i have thought about this love of the prophet for a very long 35 time 35 years no keep going yeah. i'm way older than that yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought about, but it's been probably 35 years. Um, I've thought about it for a very long time because I understand all the protocol about, you know, Salatu Rasulullah, peace and blessings on the, on the messenger of God, all of that. And I would see people just like, you know, extreme, like ecstatic over, you know, the praise of the prophet. And it puzzled me because like, that's not the experience that I ever had with the uh, personality or the person of the prophet, even though I grew up learning about Hadith, right. And learning about, you know, various aspects of the Sunnah from a very Sharia perspective. So um, for many years, I just sort of like marinate on it. And um, it, 
it occurred to me at one point to, uh, as I started to reflect on like, why is there this reverence for the prophet, peace be upon him? And I thought about what his human experience was, because this is what speaks to me is what is the human experience? So I thought about what is, what was his human experience, you know, living his life, having good character, all of a sudden you get this bizarre event happening to you. And you're like, you're a prophet, a messenger now, and you have this tremendous responsibility and God is talking to you. And so I, I walked myself through that human experience. And then based on my limited knowledge of like what, you know, the stages of his life were like before revelation and after revelation, um, and, you know, standing up in prayer all night and having all of these human beings to contend with, I really started to feel the weight of the responsibility and that he, uh, that he bore with grace and joy and a smile on his face and deep, sincere emotion. So I, I started to think about that and I really started to appreciate it on a like, uh, intellectual level. So I work at a women's prison and this year I, I, I want to leave. Like I'm, I'm toast, but I know it's not time. So I'm like, I can't do a Eunice right. And run away. I, so, um, I started and I've been thinking also about power and what it's like being a, an imam or a chaplain in a prison where the power dynamics are so skewed. And then I started and I started thinking about how much I need my time alone. And my brain went to, oh, my God, that was the prophet's experience. Oh, my God, that was the prophet's experience. And then suddenly I realized, like, I really just need to start praying at night because I need that in order to, like, center myself and ground myself. And I was like, oh, my God, that's why the prophet stood up at night, because that was how he had to maintain his sanity. And be when you see God's showers of mercy upon you, even as you have have this heavy responsibility, then like you stand up and you thank God because that's what you ground yourself in. So like, however, my like, you know, do I eat a certain way or drink a certain way? Um, because the prophet did it? No, but I probably should because even now when I'm talking to the inmates about like, hey, don't don't chug your water because you're going to pee it all out and be like dehydrated the next day. Sip, by the way, the prophet, three sips at a time, right? So like, you know, I, I just want to like offer that maybe it's okay that people approach it and that the in whatever way is going to work for them, but that the point is like there's a reason why we ask for peace and blessings on the prophet every single time we mention his name and like in our dua and everything. And so to think about why is that? Why is that reverence? Why is that respect? That dev that devotion is for Allah, but you know why is that or like prescribed in Islam? So. Um, you know, to, to reflect on that and think deeply from your experience and your like lived reality, what, like, what does that mean to you? That's just yeah. what I wanted to offer. Thank you very much. Mashallah. Zeba. I think a lot of what I was going to say was kind of said by mm -hmm. most of the people, but I just feel like some of these, if you really believe that Rasulullah is, you know, the embodiment of what's most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it's, 
comes down to your intentions you know if you mm-hmm. are intending to do certain things like eat the banana the way he did or dress the way he did with the intention of i want to do this because this is what's pleasing to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then it just mm-hmm. becomes part of your worship okay. and then it becomes part of your worship yeah that was the point we were discussing the other day Khurram. so my point was uh, in relation to ayah 31 and 32 yeah. So, for example, if uh, if we do not have ayah number thirty-one, and only thirty-two, it will work out most probably like to obey. Meaning, obey Allah, obey the messenger. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, there is some sort of subtle or nuance element of love. So it's it's like a, it's like to uh, sort of um, encourage to to understand what the love with and what the love with the prophet is, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then in the light of that love maybe when you will see to obey the prophet it will be much more delightful maybe or 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 much more easy maybe i think delightful is a good word here yeah shala okay so um you know the verse says if you sincerely love allah then follow me right so there's no um reference here that says like you know, dress like me or, sure. you know, have the same physical characteristics as me, right? Follow me. It means like, I mean, to me, it means the teachings that I'm teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of that sunnah, part of that is hadith, and, you know, most importantly, the revelation of the Quran. So, you know, I don't, I don't see how we can say like Allah intended for us to sure. dwell on these minutia. Sure. Totally, totally. Uh, again, I'm cautious against calling it minutia. That's a, it's a, a, a subjective assertion, right? Uh, because then we could argue that, for example, his war treaties, those are real, but everything else is tiny. You know, like, I mean, he does, God doesn't need our prayers, right? Um, so I'm cautious about that. But we'll discuss tomorrow, inshallah, the idea of what it's mean to follow. Um, and it does not necessarily contradict what you're saying, but that'll be in tomorrow's discussion. Um, uh, Asim, and then, and then we'll stop because I actually have to run to it another, another event. Shall um, yeah, so I sort of also had a thought on this, and I think it was, it was close to what Stephanie said, which is that I think if we look at the prophet as a teacher and we look at sort of everything in our life as what he's teaching us, every little thing does matter. It's not to say that we should specifically emulate every little thing he did but i could see the rationale behind that desire and like one good example of it is like anytime you're learning anything new so like when you're learning how to cook for example you sort of emulate every little thing you're the person teaching you how to cook does right and so i think i think that if we take the the like the prophet as like the the teacher that teaches us how to do everything that we do then, uh, you know, it's not to say that every single particular point is necessarily consequential for us, right? Your favorite color doesn't have to be green, but it's, uh, but I think it's always worth considering at least. Yeah. Yeah. All this, alhamdulillah, these are really good points, really, really good, lively discussion. I'm going to finish off with uh, a couple points to consider. So in those circles, where the emphasis is on love for the prophet, peace be upon him, by way of complete mimicry, right down to the small detail, you will also see an elevation 
of other things like people who have possession of what is said to be the hair of the prophet, peace be upon him, right? You'll see that in the same type of circles. And so let me shift from that to, for example, my mother keeps a spoon that belonged to her, her mother. Yeah. Meaning that is, aside from photos, that's probably the only physical artifact that she has yeah. um, uh, from her mother. Uh, I don't even know where it is right now. But uh, it's just this ratty, nasty old spoon. I shouldn't say nasty, but this beat up old spoon. But that was her mother's spoon. And I think all of us understand that, that possession as an expression of love, right? Different example. So when I was in my Malcolm X phase, a big part of Malcolm X's story took place in the south side of Chicago. And I used to walk on those steps on Woodlawn at 49th and Woodlawn because he did does that make me anything like malcolm x no but it is an expression of love for malcolm x and so what i'm suggesting is these things uh they give us something by these acts of love but they're acts of love they're not obligations and with that we will continue inshallah tomorrow that was the point of this of choosing this first you like the next uh inshallah even more but tomorrow we'll continue with this all right subhanakallah glory to you O allah wabihamdika praise and gratitude are to you we bear witness there is no god but you we seek your forgiveness when it do be like and we turn to you. May Allah tell the word you all, and I have to run really fast to this other event. Okay, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.